Uh, get your submissions in. We're going to get back to this shortly. 960, 960, 650, 650. This is all in response to the fact that Henrik Lundqvist retired over the weekend or on Friday, actually, after 15 years in the NHL. Never won a title. What player? Hockey, basketball, football, baseball, tennis, I guess, if you want to throw it there. Golf? I don't even yeah. know. Um, name an athlete, any sport that you really wish had won a title. Text those in. We're going to get back to that momentarily, but I want to hit this off the top because... Jamie, we've seen the BC government, and for those that don't know in Alberta, uh, the BC government's set to announce today, or at least it's speculated, they're having a press yes. conference. John Horgan, Adrian Dix, who's the health minister, and Dr. Bonnie Henry are going to speak about the fact that they're going to mandate a vaccine passport, basically showing you have to show double vaccination to get into any non-essential business. So the, you can still go to the grocery store. You could still go to a hospital. You could still go to, I guess, I think buying yeah, clothes. Pharmacy, is this, probably. Yeah. yeah. I, I think buying clothes is essential. Um, I'm assuming it I is. I hope so. so <laughs> <laughs> well, you can buy those at grocery stores now. I mean, you could go That's to Superstore true. and do like all, you can do true. one-stop shop. You may not yeah. want the clothes, but Costco, if you had to buy them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but they are going to say, so if you want to go to a restaurant, if you want to go to a concert, if you want to go to the movie theater, uh, if you want to go to a sporting event, it's going to be mandated uh, that you have to show your vac proof of vaccination. And I will say this. I had to show proof of vaccination to get into uh, the hospital in Winnipeg uh, just to visit somebody that while I was there. Uh, and the BC government at this moment, I don't know what it's like in Alberta, but the BC government doesn't make it easy to find your vaccination record. So I hope they kind of make that a little bit easier as they go forward to have to actually show proof. Because you have to go into an app, takes you to a website, takes you back to the app. Then you have to click on a bunch of different things. Like it's not easy at all to pull it up quickly when you need to show it. But yeah, and I think I think part of the announcement today will probably be this is the system we're going to use. That's a little smoother right. <laughs> than that, than what well, you just described. Yeah. And Manitoba has a QR code right now, so it's super simple. You know, uh, you can take a screen grab of it, add it, put it in your pictures, show it wherever you have to go. Like to get into the Winnipeg Blue Bombers game, you have to show double vaccination or you're not getting in. Same with what the Winnipeg Jets said; it's going to happen at the MTS Center. Now, the Ontario, not the government specifically, but the sports entities, the Blue Jays, yeah. MLSC, have said you have to show double vaccination or a negative test. Correct. Yes, exactly. Okay, so that's a little different than Manitoba. Quebec's government already has in place the same thing the BC government is going to announce, and that's for you can't get into non-essential businesses without double vaccination. So I'm guessing that leads to when the Habs have to make an announcement, they're going to. When the Montreal Alouettes have to make an announcement ahead of their first home game, I'm guessing that's what's going to have to go down. And you know what I found funny? As soon as that was announced by Quebec, vaccination um, appointments doubled of that course. night. Of course. Because yeah. people are like, I want to go to restaurants. I've been stuck at home uh, quarantining and not allowed to do anything. And remember, Quebec had a, um, uh, what was it, a uh, curfew on. So, like, you couldn't be out past 9 o'clock for the longest time. Like, So, it was like people understood, like, okay, now they're putting in restrictions. If I want to do things and have fun with my life moving forward, I have to get double va or double vaccinated. And people were. And so... The Edmonton Oilers just came out with, or a source within the Edmonton Oilers group said the same thing. Double vaccination. No negative test, Jamie. Double vaccination. So I'm guessing the Calgary Flames are going to do that coming forward. Like, does it, For you, does it make you just say, okay, like this is a good step going forward because people can make the decision not to have the vaccine, but then you're just not going to be allowed to do these things. Well, and I think it's also just good that we're getting clarity 
you know, across jurisdictions, right? Across different sporting teams, right? It, it's, it seems like it is going to be the norm sooner rather than later, right? We're seeing it in the U.S. as well, uh, starting to be more mandates like this. And that, I think it's just, it's good to know where we stand, right? And it's good mm-hmm. for everyone to know where they stand and to know, okay, hey, if I want to do X, Y, and Z, these are the steps I have to take. As you said, we have seen in Quebec, we have seen in France, I believe, when these types of mandates comes in, all of a sudden, guess what? People rush out to get the vaccine yes. because they're like, oh, wait, wait a second. I want to go to a Canucks game. I want to be able to go to a movie theater. I, I guess I better go get this, right? People who might be on the fence for whatever reason, it spurs them to action and ends up making everyone safer in the process. Well, and I mean, people are pointing out, well, if you're vaccinated, you can still get COVID. Yes, absolutely. You can. You can still get COVID if you are double vaccinated. The point of it all is, is that the vaccine is going to hopefully take your symptoms, decrease your symptom level, your severity of them, and prevent you from being in hospital or in... um, in the ICU. And yes. that's, that's the whole hope with this, is to not overrun the ICU. And, oh. Yeah, and, and not just the hope. I mean, that's the reality, right? You're much, much, much better positioned to deal with it if, if you have been double vaccinated. And right now, you can't get vaccinated if you're under 12. And we've seen with this Delta variant, it's starting to hit kids more. And it's starting to hit the younger population. So, you know, it's just a case of if you can try and vaccinate yourself, it decreases hopefully the chance of you getting it, but also protects those around you that can't get vaccinated. Anyways, I want to point that out because people seem to text in saying, well, you can still get COVID. Yes, I understand that. But the point is to make society as a whole healthier. Also just like... I don't want to sit with a mask on for the rest of my life. Yeah, no, thank you. The Canuck, no, Canucks game. No, like, that would not be fun. <laughs> that would take away from the atmosphere a little bit, I think. It would. Okay, so that's the latest on that situation. Uh, text in 650-650-960-960. Which athlete had you wished had won a title? And this one came in, Jamie, to 650-650. I thought it was really hilarious, actually, because it's like every past and present Canucks player. Yes, yeah. Well, that's what I said off the top of the conversation. We got into it, right? As someone who grew up a Canucks fan, there's no shortage of of people you could choose here. I chose Roberto Luongo, but of course, we've had lots of people text in that, you know, the Sedin twins are at the top of their list. Trevor Linden, no surprise there. I mean, we even had some people in Calgary text in, hey, you know what? I'm not a a Canucks fan. I'm a a Flames fan. But Trevor Linden, how can you not respect that guy? He'd be on my list. So yeah, no shortage of options for Canucks fans in this game. But I, I went with Roberto Luongo from the Canucks. Yeah, absolutely. And I and obviously Jor McGinley's being one that's being texted in by uh, numerous people. I saw Dale Howardchuck uh coming Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. And actually I believe yesterday or Saturday it was the one year anniversary of his passing away. So rest in peace. Uh Daryl Dale Howardchuck obviously played a long time with the Winnipeg Jets. Part of those really good Jets teams, Jamie, that just happened to be in the same division as oh, you know, the eighties Oilers yes. and the eighties Flames. Like it just yeah. didn't seem fair. <laughs> Tough, tough break for Winnipeg in those ones, yeah. Do you think Reggie Miller's been texted in twice? I think it's from Mike and Victoria both times. But you watched the documentary, uh, The Malice in yep. the House, and the expectation was, you know, if stuff hadn't happened, like, that probably Indiana team would have won the title. But for me with Reggie, it's like, I don't associate him with not having a title. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's not one of the... Like, I think Charles Barkley always think, yeah, Charles never won. But for Reggie, it's never a... Oh, yeah, Reggie didn't win. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I this is going to sound harsh. I almost feel like, you know, Reggie Miller 
okay, he's a Hall of Famer. He's one of the best three-point shooters of all time. I understand that. But he was ne- like he was never league MVP, right? Charles mm-hmm. Barkley was. Charles Barkley was, you know, for a time considered the second best player in the league after Michael Jordan. He won an MVP. He was he was in a higher echelon when he played than Reggie Miller. And the interesting thing with that is when you reach that higher level, expectations are higher too. So I don't think anyone ever looked at Reggie Miller as a guy who should have, you know, almost single-handedly carried his team to a championship. They right. did kind of see Charles Barkley that way, right? Or at least Charles Barkley, they thought, had the talent to be able to do that, whereas that's not really what you were expecting out of Reggie Miller. So you're right. He does. He isn't immediately associated with it as the same way that Charles Barkley is. And then I also just think there's, as you said, you know, the Winnipeg Jets teams in the 80s always going up against the Oilers and the Flames of the 80s and just what a tough bro- tough blow that was for them. Mm-hmm. And you look at, you know, in particular, Eastern Conference players in the 90s in the NBA. It's like, well, what are you going to do? They're going up against Michael Jordan and the Bulls, right? So yep. Reggie Miller, Patrick Ewing, you know, go down yep. the list. It's like, yeah, okay, it's it's tough, and maybe you can you can point the finger at them a little bit, but they had to play Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and the Chicago Bulls in the playoffs every year. Yeah, of course they didn't win a title. Okay, I'm going to get your opinion on this one because you're a bigger baseball fan than I am, and I, it's, I do think of him as probably the best pure hitter I've ever seen play, and he's phenomenal. Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah, Griffey's a really interesting one. You, you, I agree just because of what he meant to the sport and how fun he was to watch. I would have loved to see him win a championship. He's another guy, and you could throw, you know, we've had this discussion with Barry Sanders. I don't think anyone thinks less of Ken Griffey Jr. for not winning right. a title. And I think the conversation in baseball is a lot different, right? Because it's not basketball where if you're Michael Jordan, you're getting the ball in the last possession with a chance to take the shot and win the game, right? You're one of nine guys in a baseball lineup, in a, in a, in, in, in the team's hitting lineup, right? So mm-hmm. you only have so much control over what happens in the game. And, you know, there will still be guys. I know A-Rod got the choker label for a long time before he won with the Yankees. That still gets thrown around, but it's not – it's a sport where you just have so much less individual control over how your team performs that not winning a World Series, it doesn't seem to stick to guys the same way that it does in other sports. Again, just on a personal level, for how exciting he was and how much fun he gave baseball fans, yeah, I would have loved Ken Griffey Jr. to get that World Series. But I don't think his legacy is any less for not winning it. He's still viewed as just a phenomenal baseball player. Well, and it's funny because it's almost like – I think personality comes down to a little bit of it too. Like I know a lot of people text in like they hated Reggie Miller, you know, just because of yeah. personality on the, you hated Ken Griffey Jr. Cause you know, a lot of people didn't like the way he talked in the media and how he acted. I know a lot of media personnel, at least when would cover the Seattle Mariners did not like Ken Griffey Jr. At all. When he was a member of the Seattle Mariners. And I do think that perception comes down to it's like, well, you know what? Nah, he wasn't exactly the best guy to deal with. So well, I didn't really need to see him win a title. I wanted to ask you about Randy Moss. Because remember, he was in the Super Bowl that one year, that 2007 season where the New England Patriots went undefeated and yep. ended up losing to the New York uh, Giants. That was that first New York Giants, I believe, Super Bowl with Eli Manning. I mean, he had a great year that year that they went to the Super Bowl. I'm just pulling up his stats here, like 98 passes that season, led the NFL in touchdowns, but only had five catches in Super Bowl 62. Does his... Like, do you look at him as, again, another guy that you're like, oh, he sh- 
it sucks he didn't win a title, or is it the Barry Sanders? Because to me, I'm putting him still in that Barry Sanders category. Yeah, I mean, again, it, it, we're, there's two there's two conversations here, right? There is, do you blame the guy, right? Does it sully his legacy or how we view him in any way, the fact that he didn't win the title? But then the other side of it is just, would you have liked for him to do it, right? Would It, it, it would have been nice to see, and I was a huge Randy Moss fan. Now, I will yep. say... I'm glad it didn't happen for those undefeated Patriots because I'm also a Patriots hater. So that would have been really obnoxious. But yeah, I would throw Randy Moss in that category. Again, at at his height, just the most physically dominant, incredible wide receiver I've ever seen in a football game. And you could throw Calvin Johnson in that discussion yep. as well. But the things that Randy Moss could do were just you, – you almost couldn't believe what you were watching some of the times when he was at the height – of his game. So yeah, I put Randy Moss in that category, but again, glad it didn't happen with those Patriots. <laughs> uh, as an Angels fan, this texture writes in unsigned text, Mike Trout will be my answer when he retires. Until then, it has to be the Sedins. That's actually one of the players where you like, he hope he leaves and goes chases a, a title somewhere else because he has been so good for that. I mean, he's won how many MVPs, you know, playing for a team that doesn't even have a sniff at the playoffs year in and year out this year he's hurt obviously but still it's like I always look at him and he's like the Angels are wasting away one of the best players to ever play the game of baseball please go somewhere else demand a trade do whatever you want to do go somewhere else and chase a title because he also seems like one of the good guys and I do think with Mike Trout it might be that might be a narrative that you do associate with him yeah, well, I think with Mike Trout, it'll be more not even just didn't win a championship. If, if you know, he's still, like, what, he's 30 years old. So, you know, he still has time to potentially win a World Series. But the conversation will be less never won a World Series than just never, barely even got to show what he could do in the playoffs. Just never exactly. even got a spotlight, let alone getting over and ultimately winning the championship. Just, just never played relevant games. That's going to be the bigger frustration with Mike Trout, and you speak of frustrating, I mean, finally, the team gets another incredible high-end performer in Shohei Otani, who's going to win MVP this year, and, oh, Mike Trout's injured for most of the year, so he doesn't right? even get to be there to help the team take that step towards the playoffs, which you got to think, if you have Mike Trout and Shohei Otani in your lineup, you're going to be at least sniffing around the playoffs. It's just another frustrating brutal season for Mike Trout through no fault of his own. So I, I think the narrative of Trout, yeah, it's not going to be, oh, why did he never help his team win? We can all see what he's doing year in, year out to help his team win. It's going to be, I can't believe this phenomenal player never got a real chance to show what he could do in the postseason. I'm going to say this, like, this is rare that I will say this, but Mike Trout, don't show loyalty. Go go chase the title somewhere else because the Angels aren't going to – well, I mean, maybe him healthy this year. The Angels are a little bit different team. I mean, he has, hasn't played since, what, the first month of the season yeah. or something like that. So maybe give it one more year and see what you and Shohei can do healthy together. And then, uh, if not, move on. Go go chase the title. Go to the Yankees. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> that might piss a lot of people off, including yourself, Jamie. Um, yeah, what are you talking – you're a Jays fan too, Karen. What do you mean go to the Yankees? What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just trying to say go to a team where you have the best chance of winning. Go to the NL, at least. Come on. Go to the Dodgers. Just go stay to, in the same oh. city. You don't have to move even. You can just play for LA instead. Could you imagine? Just put him in that lineup. Good God. Good. Uh Tom Tomlinson. He's somebody... Uh, he was incredible to watch play. It's funny. I actually got to see San Diego at the time uh, play twice. Once in the preseason and once final game of the regular season. And the preseason, L. Tomlinson doesn't play. He's just one of those guys that doesn't play the preseason. Um, yeah. And that that was abnormal back then. 
And then I saw them play the final game of the regular season, thinking I'm going to get to see him and Drew Brees play, because this was when Brees played for him. And no, they had already locked up the division and their, their spot in the playoffs, so I got to see Doug Flutie and play and said, no Drew Brees. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> no, no. yeah, but I'd seen Doug Flutie play in the CFL. Yeah, still, but you got to see him do it in an NFL context. That's not bad. That's one of the, That's also one of the guys I would have liked to see win a title. Uh, they were just... They never again had the teams around him. And maybe it's because of just Barry Sanders you just associate with a terrible team. But LT, I mean, he had rushing titles. And they did have, you know, get to the playoffs uh, for a few years. But that's one guy that I, I do think, like, yeah, I wish I had seen him win a, win a title. This one comes in, and we're talking about players you wish had been able to win a championship in their career. This one comes in to the Calgary inbox, 960-960. Keep getting your submissions in. Allen Iverson, that's a really good answer. Ooh, and again, yeah. just such a fun player to watch. And Iverson is a guy who I really enjoyed him when he was in the NBA. And then his kind of post-career has made me respect him even more because he's one of those guys that, you know, so often when a player leaves the league and they retire, they they lionize the guys they played with in the era they played with, and they kind of look down on the new players, right? Ah, these guys yeah. are soft. They couldn't get it done when I was around. They wouldn't be anything if they played when I played. And Iverson's not like that at all. He has an incredible amount of respect for what the current generation of stars in the NBA are doing. That's something that's really cool for me to see, right? A retired mm -hmm. guy, a legend who still has that love and respect for the new crop of players. So I can, as I said, I loved AI when he was playing. I like him even more now had that one shot against the Lakers where they were just so overmatched. Right. And we, yeah, he, he led them to the game one victory and the, the step over Tyron Lou and all that. It was awesome. But yeah, I like the Iverson answer. That's a great pull from Calgary. <laughs> Freddie from Poco texts in 650-650. Uh, Marcel Dion. And not only did Marcel Dion, Jamie never win a title. He never even got to the finals. Yeah. Like, you talk about someone who's arguably the greatest goal scorer or one of the greatest goal scorers in the NHL to have never won a championship. I mean, it's his teams miss the playoffs half the time. Like, he's in the Mike, he's in the Mike Truck conversation. Yes. Yeah, where never even got a chance. Yeah, he played he played uh, 1,348 NHL games, regular season, yeah. only 49 oh. playoff games. Like, just never got that opportunity on a consistent basis to actually get to the playoffs and show what he could do. That's absolutely incredible to think about that. Just the, again, like like you said with the Mike Trout, what, he's been in the playoffs once, I think, in his yeah. entire career. Yeah. Same thing. You look at all the regular season games, it's just, and then you see the uh, <laughs> you see the lack of success in the playoffs. And yeah, Mike just, Trout has played three postseason games. Three so postseason <laughs> games. Yeah. It's incredible. Tony Gwynn, this one comes into. That would have been nice. Yeah, That's I, a good I one. look at him. Yeah, I look at him as a good player because it's like 20 seasons. He did have two World Series appearances back in 1984 and 1998. Um, the closest one. They lost in five games. Uh, San Diego Padres lost in five games in the 84 World Series. But it, you know, you just think of Triple Crowns. You think of how incredible a hitter was and the fact that he actually did get close enough to maybe potentially win it, the World Series. And again, just an all-around good guy, I think, right? Yeah, exactly. Has that kind of universal respect factor. 
Uh, this one comes in from Rager. Shane Doan and Shane O'Brien. One, because he was a legend okay. on the ice. I guess that's Shane Doan. Uh, and the other, because he was a legend off the ice and the cup parties would have been insane. Yeah, Shane O'Brien, I mean, we know what he, <laughs> how he liked to party when he was not winning Stanley Cups. I can only imagine what it would have been like if he ever actually did uh, get his hands on the cup. I got to say, like, do we care that Barry Bonds never got a title? Mm, no. Not really. <laughs> right? It's just like, dude, come on. Admit you were juicing, then maybe we can uh, we can think differently upon, um, about you. Just in, the Calgary Flames just announced that they're implementing COVID-19 vaccination policy that will require all fans eligible to receive the vaccine, event staff, employees to be fully vaccinated for attendance at live events at the Scotiabank Saddledome and McMahon Stadium. So those of you that's been going to um, Stampeders games, it's going to change. You're going to have to show proof of double vaccination to get into McMahon Stadium. That's just breaking news from the Calgary Flames organization. Uh, we're going to head to Edmonton, talk a little bit more about the COVID-19 situation and the COVID-19 outbreak with the Edmonton Elks because they have five players testing positive, at least five players. Uh, they're currently in isolation, going through protocols, and their game Thursday against the Argos has been canceled. That is next on Rintoul and Sermon. Jamie Dodd in for Scott Rintoul. Calgary Flames just announced, sorry, Calgary Sports and Entertainment Group just announced to be specific. Vaccines will be mandatory for staff, guests, and employees to attend live sporting events at the Saddledome McMahon Stadium with a target date of September 15th. So it's a couple of weeks from now. So it gives people, Jamie, a couple of weeks if they have been hesitant. Uh, I believe that's yep. a, if you go if you go get it tomorrow, you can be within that two-week period. Yeah, uh, although I don't know if it's, uh, if, it, if it's fully oh. vaxxed, right? You have to get your second shot as well. So maybe and then a be little 14 bit of a lag days. there. Yeah. And then you have to be 14 days post second shot to be fully vaccinated, whatever the case is. Yeah. Uh, but they've just announced that. the uh, There was a report out earlier that the Edmonton Oilers Sports and Entertainment Group were going to make it mandatory for the Edmonton Oilers fans and staff to get in. You're going to have to prove fully vaccination. And again, this is different than Ontario because the MLSC and the Blue Jays, of course, a different ownership group, but the Blue Jays did announce it was fully vaccinated or do a negative test. Like the ones in Alberta, the ones that I think that we're going to have to see here come from the BC government. Um, it's not negative testing. It is right. just full, full double vaccination. That's yeah. it. Yeah, there's not that kind of kind of backdoor entry where you can show up and take the test or, you know, have a test that you took the day before or whatever to get in. It's just, nope, you got to be double vaxxed and you got to show us the proof of it. So Winnipeg Blue Bombers were the first ones to do this, and the Manitoba government gave them full capacity at the Bomber game. Like, it was full for opening night. Not as full for the second game of the season, but still very full for that first one. They celebrated the Grey Cup, and it looked odd because there were no masks and no social distancing, but... We did know that everyone was double vaccinated. This is where this is why this is why businesses are doing this. And for people that don't understand, this is a business. Like these yeah. teams have lost so much money over the last year and a half, two years, that they're thinking, okay, if I can get more butts in seats and people just because they're double vaccinated, there's enough of the population out there that's double vaccinated, and this will make more people say feel more comfortable by seats, I can recoup some of this lost money that I've had over the last little while. That's how I see this. Yeah, I can I can have as many people in the stands buying tickets, buying concessions, buying merchandise as possible if I go this route. That's what it is because mm -hmm. you just look at the numbers. I mean, I know here in BC, what is it? It's close to 80% of the adult population has been vaccinated, right? Or at least intends to be double vaccinated. So you're dealing with a much, much, much larger pool of the population that has already gone through this than 
on the other side, right? So if you're just trying to get the most people in the stands possible, this makes a lot of sense before you even consider the health and safety and the public health ramifications of it all, right? And I think the other thing we're seeing is now that we are starting to see the federal and provincial governments be more active in instituting yes. these mandates, it's I think sports teams and, and other businesses are looking around and saying, okay, well, they're, if they're doing it, then we can do it. And if they're doing it, they're probably going to ask that we do it anyways in order to get, as you say, you know, potentially 100% or close to 100% capacity. Yeah, we're going to speak with Dave Campbell, who, who is the color analyst of the Edmonton Elks, uh, radio colorist, color analyst for the Edmonton Elks, and I believe we have Dave on the line. Dave, long time no speak. How are you? Hey, Karen, doing well. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Uh, we've been discussing a lot of stuff that's been coming out of your province today and yesterday, but just can you just take us through the timeline a little bit of when the Elks, these positive cases came in and where we're at right now with the situation? All right, so this started uh, Wednesday afternoon when we learned that Kwaku Boateng, who is a star defensive end uh, on the Elks uh, defensive line, one of the best Canadian players and players period in the league, tested uh, was in COVID protocol because of a positive test. So he was left in Edmonton. The team boarded a plane, came to Vancouver, were all tested the morning of the game. All the tests came back negative. They played the game. They flew back to Edmonton, and Saturday morning is when all the all the uh, difficulties started. So, uh, and that's what we're dealing with right now. Um, there are five cases now. The Elks haven't said this, but this is my understanding. There are five positive cases, and Alberta Health Services basically stepped in and shut them down because they said we believe there's going to be more. We don't know how much more, but we need to go into what's called uh, uh, elevated. Uh, testing protocol so more testing everyone in tier one which is players coaches staff anyone that's in tier one will have to be isolated and then get tested and retested and now the work is uh is is now ongoing as, as far as how do we re reschedule this game from the cfl perspective and to avoid a forfeit but the window of of that reality is kind of closing so um yeah, that's where we're at right now. So it's just to see what the trickle-down effect is from these five positive cases. And just to confirm, like, who has to give the go-ahead for the Elks to be said they can get back to practicing and back together? So it's, it's a two-fold uh, two approach here. So the, the CFL has their own chief medical officer who will have to sign off and, and, and give the go-ahead. And then it's Alberta Health Services that have to give the go-ahead as well for practicing and for, for travel because the next game is, is scheduled for Toronto uh, against the Argos. So, so that's where we're at right now is, is trying to figure out the trickle-down effect, see who else is going to test positive. Will they be able to get 44 players together? And I would imagine, you know, get, get the process of, you know, isolating them and, and making sure that they're going to be safe and that they could travel to Toronto and play a game probably next Monday or next Tuesday, because after that they have the Labor Day Classic in Calgary, and then it's the rematch uh, here in Edmonton on the 11th. So that's a lot of games to play in a short amount of time for both teams. Uh, so, But that's where we're at right now. So the, the CFL, uh, their chief medical officer has to sign off on it, and Alberta Health Services has to sign off on it. Dave, we've also heard reports here in the last you know, 48 hours or so since this news has broken that the Edmonton is one of the teams under the 85% uh, 
vaccination threshold that was mandated or that was put into place by the CFL's policies. And, you know, just for, for our listeners who we're getting so many of these different policies come down all the time, it's kind of <laughs> hard to keep track of them. What's the significance of that 85% threshold for the Elks in this situation? Yeah, so, and we should clarify, the 85% threshold is vaccinated. It doesn't say fully vaccinated, but there has to be 85% of the team that are vaccinated. So that is that is to, uh, that's in case there is a forfeiture of, of the game. Um, they're, they're doing this in the NFL too. Um, I don't know if it's exactly the same, but if the Elks have to forfeit this game, there's no way of rescheduling it because that, that's the first thing the CFL wants to do. They do not want to forfeit because uh, there's implications of that as well. Um, the, but if you can't, you're going to have to forfeit and the Elks would have a loss. So if and they're under the 85% threshold, and by the way, every team is under the 85% threshold. Some teams are closer than others. The Elks are one of the lowest vaccinated teams, even though they, they are picking up a little bit. But uh, if they have to forfeit and are under the 85% vaccine requirement, then they will not get any game money at all. Players will not get paid. No one will get paid. If you're over 85%, then you would get, you would get your game check. Uh, so that's the significance of the 85%. Dave, what have you heard? Uh, what's the reaction been like from people within the organization, whether it's players, coaches, staff, whatever it is? What are you hearing about – this entire situation from from those within the team. Well, I would say there's concern. There's a bit of frustration. Um, I, I think uh, well, this is an issue that is difficult for any business and any organization. And I find it interesting that two weeks ago, that Sir Vincent Rogers, the uh, offensive lineman of the team, who hasn't played one single game yet for the team. Uh, because of injuries, and he's currently on the six-game injury list. Uh, he tested positive. He was one of the two players that tested positive for COVID, and he is fully vaccinated, and so was Brian Walker, who was the other in, in week one. And he came out two weeks ago to kind of ex- to tell a story because he said at one point he didn't want to take the vaccine. He thought this was too soon. Then back in May, he decided he's going to go take, uh, have two uh, doses of Pfizer, and then and he explained why. And he did say that there is, players on the team that don't want to be vaccinated and I thought he was very respectful to those players but also um, also very much uh, strong in the stance that, that being vaccinated is the way to go so I would sense like a lot of rock, locker rooms there is a lot of discussion and you know I mean at a certain point I mean this is just like life where you're with your circle of friends or you have certain family members that don't want to be vaccinated it's going to be difficult. And I, I can't imagine this, if this situation is, is any different in pro sports. So, but yeah, I would say concern and some frustration definitely is what I, those are the two terms I would use what the reaction is right now. We're joined by Dave Campbell, Elks radio color analyst. Uh, Dave, we've seen, okay, the right now, just moments ago, actually Calgary sports and entertainment came out and saying all staff, um, people, uh, fans to get into the building, both for the Flames and McMahon Stadium have to be double vaccinated. So that's a change from McMahon Stadium for the previous home games for Calgary. Winnipeg's been doing the double vaccination. We've seen um, in Ontario, some of the teams come out and saying double vaccination plus negative tests. I'm assuming mm-hmm. with, the, with the announcement from the BC government, the Lions will probably have some sort of announcement to make in terms of double vaccination. I was thinking about this, though. The Elks and the Riders, they're both community-owned, correct? 
Yeah. Could that, it, if it's not mandated by the government, I think, could that prove to be something where we don't see these mandates because of the fact the government's not saying you have to do this? Well, that's interesting, right? Because uh, you're right, because they're, they're not technically a private business. Um, they sort of are and sort of are not. I mean, the, the, the makeup here with the Elks is they have a, a group of people, it's like 80 to 90, maybe a bit more, that are shareholders that pay, you know, a certain, uh, certain dollar amount to become a shareholder. And then you have the board of directors who are the, you know, basically the, the people that are overseeing the club uh, with obviously a board chair. And it's interesting, too, because the, the Bombers are, the, are community-owned, too, and they, they have this policy, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, uh, I, I think the walls are closing in on both organizations. It's interesting, Karen, because uh, the Edmonton Oilers, or actually it was reported uh, by uh, Jason Greger in town here, um, who is very well-connected, that, uh, that uh, it looks like the Oilers Entertainment Group will have this policy as well, that you have to be fully vaccinated to attend games. Staff have to be fully vaccinated. So if you're the Elks and the Riders, everyone's kind of looking at you going, okay, what's your move? And you're right, because like in Alberta, we have nothing. There are no restrictions, nothing. There's there's a continuance or an extension of contact tracing and isolation periods, which was supposed to end last Monday. But in Alberta, there's no masking mandates there's there isn't anything there isn't capacity limits there's nothing here and i don't sense that's going to change but we are what i would call uh in one of uh, you know the professionals in the medical field uh, we're in the fourth wave now but this is you know now becoming the the pandemic of the unvaccinated but yeah i think the more teams that have this policy of you better show up fully vaccinated or else you're not coming in our venue when you're the Elks, and, and, and Commonwealth is a city-owned venue, right? That, that makes yeah. it difficult. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's going to be hard to justify not having this policy going forward because, you know, I, I, I don't know how many fans are, are, are getting comfortable. Like the first two games were fine. There was 30,000 and 25,000. But going forward, now you wonder if fans look around and go, well, we're not, we're not doing the same thing. I don't want to risk this, so I'm staying home. If that's right. going to uh, really, really push the Elks and the Riders to to maybe go in this direction, because I honestly I don't know what other choice they're going to have. I, mean, I, I just don't see how they can't go forward without putting some sort of proof of fully vac- you know, proof of full vaccination into the into the, the building. And I know you've probably been paying attention to the numbers out here, and I mean, not to get too political in this situation, but of course we've seen regional restrictions put in because of rising numbers in different areas of BC, and then the government today is going to announce uh, double vaccinated people uh, can only, um, cannot enter non-essential businesses, and that includes sporting events. Like, do you, do you think there is going to be any pressure from the government to put some sort of plan in place, or is it just, do you think, I guess, like you say, status quo? Well, when the government's the government here, which is the United Conservative Party and Jason Kenney's the premier who really has wanted the business sector to win out over the medical sector, um, I I could see perhaps there, if it gets really bad, and that's only when movement has happened in this province, when, when a wave gets really out of control and hospitalizations and ICUs are out of control, then they move. But, uh, I mean... This doesn't seem to be a province that moves very quickly. 
uh, when they should. So it's hard to predict what what the government would do in in a, a situation of you know if, if a fourth wave really boils over. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, like I say, it's just it's like living in Florida or Texas here in the U.S. right here in Canada, right? So it's uh, it's a government that wants to move on as fast as possible, and I know there. I mean, we got to move on at some point, but there's going to be a question of okay, are we, we're not vaccinated enough fully as, as a province to, to take that step, to just move along and, and, and go about our business and live with COVID. So it's, uh, it's a debate that is very hot here in, in Alberta. There's a lot of people that are very mad at the government of Alberta because they just don't seem to be moving at all to try and, uh, you know, alleviate this. Um, so... It's really hard to predict what they're going to do, or maybe it isn't. I mean, right now they're doing nothing, and I'm, I'm, I'm totally not surprised by that, just, just, just with their attitude through, throughout this pandemic. Hey, Dave, I want to uh, talk a little on-the-field action with you while we have you on the line here. Edmonton, sure. BC, Calgary, all 1-2 and two to start the season out of the gate. Which of those three teams do you think should be the most optimistic about the rest of the season, and which should be the most concerned about how their season might go from here on out? Well, I, I'll start the concern part. I mean, I would probably have to say the Calgary Stampeders. I mean, they got a good win uh, with uh, with Jake Bear as their quarterback. I don't know how sustainable that is going forward. We'll, we'll see. Um, I don't think the Alouettes did a lot to, to help themselves in that game either. They a lot of drop balls, and Vernon Adams wasn't very good, and a lot of undisciplined stuff. You know, between the Lions and the, the Elks, you know, that's a tough one. I mean, I, I like the Elks roster. I've always had it, especially on offense. And we saw them dominate uh, the the yardage. They had to settle for more field goals than they would like. Um, you know, I would have to say the Elks are in a better position, uh, you know, before <laughs> before last night when we all learned what was happening within the Elks organization and the potential uh, forfeiture. But, uh you know, I would have to say the Elks are probably better positioned because they have the veterans, they have the roster, they still have, um, I think, uh, a better defensive group than the Lions, personally. Uh, but the Lions, I think, are going to be right there as well. I mean, I, I think uh, when you have Michael Riley at quarterback, and I think their receiving group is better than than I think some people might give it credit for, and I don't mind their defense at all. But I would say, you know, I mean, we look, at, we look before the season and you don't play the game on paper, but I think a lot of people are surprised the Elks are at one and two. So I think they would have the, the more uh, upside than, than the Lions at this point. But you know what? Proof's in the pudding. And so far, it's really it, it's really interesting. You know, because, I mean, the Riders 3-0 and all are we surprised. The Bombers 2-1. and one. Yeah, they're probably right where we thought. But, yeah, those bottom three teams, I think there's probably one or two teams, including the Elks, that, you know, people, if you told them they were going to be one and two to start, they would look at you funny. Do you like is Saskatchewan going three and zero? Does that surprise you to start this season? Not really, because uh, I think they are very well coached. Uh, I think bringing in Jason Moss as the offensive coordinator is what Cody Fajardo needs to settle down uh, his game because I think he has a penchant of, of taking off and running, then kind of staying in the pocket. And Jason Moss is very much a quarterback that's going to say, "Look, you need to find options in the pocket. If you can't find any, then release." Um, they're very good uh, defensively, I think. Uh, I think from uh, you know every the first level down to the third level in, in the secondary. 
special teams are good. I just think they're really well balanced, and I think they're going through offensively what most teams, if not all teams, are going through, and that is, you know, they've been off for a long time, 21 months, and they're still trying to find the rhythm, and defenses are ahead of offenses right now big time, and usually it's that way, but I think the gap is, is very wide right now. So, yeah, but I do think they play the, the calmest, uh, the, the most control, and when bad things happen, it doesn't spiral. So I think they're a very balanced football team. So I'm not, I'm not too surprised. One more question for myself on the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, Dave, they beat the Bombers. The Bombers were 2-0 going to that game, handing them their first loss of the season. Nick Arbuckle got the start for T.O., 23 of 32 passes, 310 yards passing and rushing touchdowns. How do you view this Toronto Argonauts team? Because I spoke to someone prior to the season and said on paper they probably have the most talent, but they're also coming in with a rookie head coach. How do you view where this yeah. team is at right now? Well, I think they made the right decision to go to Nick Arbuckle. I mean, Ryan Dinwiddie has a relationship with him back with the Calgary Stampers. So I think you could see on the field that, that that relationship really, really is strong. And they they have a good connection. And Arbuckle understands what Dinwiddie wants. Um, you know, I mean, everyone, or a lot of people talk about how good McLeod Bethel-Thompson. I say, well, here's the McLeod Bethel-Thompson good night. He passes for 350, he throws three touchdowns, and he throws two interceptions. And it's the... It's the, you know, the 350 and the three touchdowns that we focus on. Uh, I think mm-hmm. he's a very erratic quarterback. Where I think Nick Arbuckle can, can be a lot more, uh, has more command and, and plays a more controlled type of game. Um, doesn't, uh, you know, not only he got an interception call back uh, from a good challenge from Dinwiddie. He, you know, there was also five fumbles in that game, so that's not good. But I, I think I, I just like the way Arbuckle uh, commands the huddle, and then when he breaks the huddle, I, I like the way he operates. And he's got familiarity on that team with uh, Devaris Daniels and Eric Rogers, and when he was healthy, uh, Juwan Breskison. Uh, there's there's a lot of synergies there, and I just think he's, you know, I, I wouldn't put him in the top tier at all, but I would put him as as a quarterback that is just just a very uh, well operated type of uh, you know the way his mechanics are and the way he manages the game. It's it's very smooth and. It doesn't mean he's going to, you know, lose some games. That he's going to win all of his games. He's going to lose some games down the road. But I think he plays with a lot more control than McLeod Bethel Thompson. So you can definitely see the synergy is there between Arbuckle and uh, Inwitty. Hey, Dave, thanks for joining us today. Awesome stuff, as always. Hopefully, I mean, I'd like to say hopefully this is contained to just five cases within the Elks organization, but I'm guessing we're probably expecting more announcements as the next couple of days goes on. So hopefully we'll get to see them back on the field sooner than later. We were first anticipating the next updates. This, we know what we're, we're going to find out, but you know, we're going to go through the process. So, Jamie, Jamie thank you very much. Uh, anytime. Awesome. Thanks so much. That's Dave Campbell, Elks Radio Color Analyst for the Edmonton Elks Radio Network. Uh, Jamie, that's it for us, our time in Calgary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is where we're, we're going to leave you. Bottom of the third hour, we're going to turn it over to the big show on Sportsnet 960. The fan, have a wonderful rest of your day. We will back, be back with you at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, Mountain Time. Vancouver, you're with us for another hour. We're going to talk some Whitecaps and Lions with someone who was in the building for both games last week and over the weekend. You're listening to a rental and sermon on Sportsnet 650 and Sportsnet 960. The fan. We're joined with JJ Adams for the Vancouver Province of Vancouver Sun. Good afternoon, JJ. How are you doing today? 
I'm doing great, Karen. How are you guys doing? Oh, we're doing wonderful as usual on this Monday afternoon. I got to ask you because Jamie and I haven't been to a sporting event uh, yet <laughs> since it's been we've been allowed to in this province. And you were at the Whitecaps game, Lions game. Like, what was it like being back in BC Place and seeing fans there? Honestly, it was it was refreshing. It was it was great to be back. It. Uh, it felt like an old, comfortable pair of shoes or old, comfortable mask that no one was wearing at uh, BC Place. Uh, <laughs> no, it, it was it was a great experience. Uh, the Whitecaps, uh, they didn't quite sell out, but they still got close. It was a good atmosphere. Lions, uh, you know, a few days before, they kind of, they had a fellow crowd, I believe, 12,500 fans. And um, it was rocking in there. Even uh, Coach Rick Campbell said it was it was loud enough on the field that he couldn't sometimes hear people next to him. So uh, it was good. I think people were ready for it. People have been having this, this pent-up energy and uh, <laughs> wanting this, or willingness to get back in the, in the stands. It, it, was, it was really good to see. Well, even for you, just covering a game, it's like, oh, wait, I get to see it live on the field and not have to watch it on a television screen? Absolutely, even though, you know, our post-game presses are still done by Zoom. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, some things haven't got away yet. Um, it, it, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's nice to be in there and, and see things with your own eyes and, and not rely on, on TV for sure. Hey, just quickly, did you notice anything different that the Whitecaps did after learning from what the Lions did uh, in that opening game in terms of restrictions or a spacing out in BC Place? You know what? Uh, I didn't. It was a different crowd. I noticed. Uh, I think uh, the, the the egress and the exit from the uh, the stadium was a bit of a challenge with the Lions. Um, I didn't hear any kind of uh, blowback or criticism from anyone with the uh, with the Whitecaps. Um, yeah, no. It, it it seemed like both organizations, both clubs, uh, tried to really uh, adhere to all the, uh, the the social distancing guidelines. Um, of course, I, I think a lot of people have kind of got uh, COVID fatigue and, and uh, have kind of let those go by the wayside. Uh, I noticed there were, there were a lot more masks at the, at the Whitecaps game than there were at the Lions game. Um, but, you know, I think that could just be down to different fan bases, different kind of demographics. Um, but I, I think everyone was just... Uh, you know, ready to kind of put put things behind them and, and get back to uh, to normality. So, unfortunately, the Lions couldn't get the big win in their first game back, but the Whitecaps did come through with a really impressive victory, and it was very fitting that, you know, the guy who's received so much hype here among supporters, Ryan Gauld, he scores the winner late in the match. From what you've seen so far, and I know, you know, supporters of the Whitecaps have been crying and begging for a legitimate star level number 10 on this team for a long time. Does Ryan gold fit the bill? Is he the real deal? Someone who can move the needle for the white caps in MLS? Well, so far, uh, yes. Um, you know, that when he's come on in, in the past uh, three games, he has absolutely changed the complexion of the team. Uh, he, he, he led the win uh, when they were on the road in Austin, he came on, completely changed that game around and, and same thing at bc place i think a lot of people expected him to be in the starting lineup but you know having only been with the club for a few weeks and he hadn't played since uh earlier in march it's taken him a while to get up to full speed um but you can see when he comes in he has the 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 quality and the skill at a position uh that the whitecaps 
I don't think they've ever had a player of his caliber in that position. I think Pedro Morales is probably the closest uh, five years ago, but Ryan Ryan Gold is, is uh, from what we've seen so far, a far superior player. Um, he is definitely the missing link for this team. Uh, he, he plays a role that, you know, as a, as a playmaker and offensive facilitator, uh, also someone who could score. I mean, scoring in the 89th minute in his home debut, you, you couldn't have scripted it any better for the Whitecaps. Um, it was it was a, a great way for them to, to come back home. And, you know, we're going to see a lot more of them at BC Place as the, the, the season sort of winds down. I believe uh, eight of their 14 remaining home games or games are at home. Um, so we'll see a lot more of them at home. And uh, frankly, they really they need these home games because they've had a hard go of it for the, the last two years, you know, playing in Orlando, playing in, in Portland, um, playing in, in Sandy, Utah, and Salt Lake City. Uh, it's nice for them to finally get home and, and play in front of their fans. And uh, what a treat for them to, to have the game sort of finish the way it did. Yeah, it was awesome. It was great to see the scenes afterwards, right, with the, the players celebrating with the fans. You got really got a sense of how happy the players are to have a true home stadium, a home pitch to defend again. And you kind of mentioned it, you know, they, they really need that boost after everything they've gone through. So, you know, with gold in the fold now, and you expect to see him start at some point here, uh, probably sooner rather than later. And as you mentioned, a lot of games at home coming up on the MLS schedule. I mean, can they start to think, hey, look, maybe we can make a run and, and make it into the playoffs here at the end of the season? Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're a lot closer than they were a month ago. Uh, they were at the bottom of the standings west a month ago. Now they're uh, up into 10th place. Um, still, uh, I think, six points shy of the playoff line last time I checked, where they were after the game. Um so, you know, I, I talked to uh, Jake Nerwinski about this uh, heading into the game, and uh, he said it wasn't a mountain anymore for them. It's, now it's more of like a, a grassy knoll, so to speak. It's, a, it's, <laughs> it's still a challenge. They've still got a long way to go, a lot of work to do. Um, for them to get just to, to where they are now has taken uh, the longest unbeaten string in, in uh in team history, they matched the one they, they said, I believe it was in 2015. Um, they, they needed to pull off something remarkable just to get to this point. How much do they have left in the tank? Can they get themselves over the playoff line by the end of the season with these home games, with Ryan Gold in the lineup? Um, they're missing Lucas Cavallini right now. The injury, he's going to be out for uh, probably at least another month. It's, it's, it's a, it's a challenge for them. Um, I, you know, I, I like the way they're playing right now. Uh, I really do think that, that Ryan Gold brings something to the team that they, they haven't had before, and hopefully he can be that keystone, that, that, that missing uh, link in the, in the final third that really sort of uh, turns them into a, a quality team. We're speaking with J.J. Adams with the Vancouver Province, Vancouver Sun. J.J., should he be considered... Like, should he be a starter on this team moving forward, or should he be considered that super sub? Uh, no, he he'd definitely be a starter. I think, uh, I mean, whatever you have a shot eating toy, you know, the, the, the feeling is to try and, you know, play with it as much as you can right away. But they're being very careful with him. Like I said, he hadn't played um, since uh, his season ended in, in March in Portugal. So he he's out of shape. And you, you don't want to just throw him out there. And, you know, try and run them ragged, uh, especially on that wonderful turf 
<laughs> place. Um, you, you don't want to risk overusing him because if you if he gets injured from some kind of uh, overuse injury or if he just isn't isn't ready physically fit and he gets hurt and he's out for an extended stretch, that really you're you're hooped for the rest of the season. So I think they're doing the right thing. They're giving him time to integrate into the lineup. They're giving him time to to get up to to match fitness. Uh, it's a smart move. It's the right move. And I, I see. I think we'll probably see him start. You know, either either next game um, on the weekend, or maybe even before that on the uh, the Canadian Championship game when they head over to the island to take on Pacific FC uh, in in the big uh, BC Derby. Um, Are you? <laughs> Yeah, it'll be. Are you tra- traveling? It'll be starting soon enough. Are you going to travel to Lankford to watch that game? Well, Karen, here's the <laughs> thing. <laughs> uh, that that game falls on my 10 year anniversary. Oh so no! If I was to go to that game, <laughs> that would be my final anniversary. So, yeah. unfortunately, I cannot make the game. Uh, I want to be watching it on TV or on my phone. Uh, I may have some notifications set up on my phone to like bust in my pocket when we're out for a nice romantic dinner, but that's about it. Unfortunately, I will not be able to make the game, uh, which is a shame. Uh, I really would like to see <laughs> the Whitecaps head over there, uh, play in a really cool stadium in Langford uh, against a team coached by former Whitecap and Whitecaps uh, uh, youth coach in Pamaduka. He's doing right. magic with Pacific FC right now. Um, yeah, it, it, uh, it's a shame that I'm not going to be able to make the game. Well, you know what? It's uh, unfortunate for our coverage and for reading the stories on it, but I do think that you're probably making the right decision for your personal <laughs> uh, relationship, JJ. Uh, one more question just on uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps. Max Crapo, can we overstate how important he's been for the Whitecaps back there? Absolutely not. I mean, even this game, uh, this, this past game against LAFC, uh, they had cool. I believe it was 14 shots in the, in the first half, and he made some incredible point-point saves to keep them in the game before Ryan Gold had a chance to, to come on and sort of turn the game on his head. There, there's, there's no understating just how important Maxime Crepeau is for, for this team. He, he's one of the best shot stoppers in the league. Uh, he's the, the heart and soul of, of that, that defense back there. Um, Canadian international He's going to be going away again for international duty, so they're going to have to rely on uh, young Thomas Hassall to come back in and uh, and, uh, and and fill the void, which he did capably last year when uh, when Max went down with an injury at uh, the uh, the MLS's back tournament in Orlando. Um, so they've got a quality backup, but again, uh, there's there's no replacing uh, Maxime Crepeau. He is the one of the preeminent keepers in MLS, and uh, yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be a, another big loss for them to uh, to overcome when uh, international duty rolls around but hey world cup qualifying we uh, got we all got to have priorities JJ, I know earlier in the year when uh, the white caps were struggling quite a bit there were some supporters you know questioning whether uh, Mark Dos Santos was going to survive the season with the white caps and obviously they've turned things around and you know you just look at all the adversity they've had to deal with I can understand why uh, you you might want to keep Mark Dos Santos around until they can be in a better situation. Do you get any sense that his job might be in jeopardy here down coming down the end of the season? Uh, well, he's definitely in a, in a show me moment right now. His contract expires at the end of the season, and you know they have to they they've shown uh, a really great turnaround here. 
Um, it's just how far can they take it? Um, I would be the first one to say, you know, when they were bottom of the league and, and playing really poor soccer, I was the first one to say, hey, uh, Marcus Santos is on the hot seat here. Um, you know, general uh, manager Axel Schuster, the sporting director and CEO of the Whitecaps, you know, he might have to make a tough decision. And that decision might still come at the end of the year. Um, you know, the playoffs is a goal for this team. They have not achieved that in March tenure with the Whitecaps. This will be his third season. I mean, coach in uh, Toronto didn't even last eight games before he got fired and with TFC down at the bottom of the standing. So, you know, there are people out there, there are presidents out there who will pull the trigger. The Whitecaps are showing a lot of pressure and a lot of faith. Uh, or a lot of uh, they've shown a lot of faith in Marcos Santos, but there definitely is pressure for him to perform, and uh, hopefully he can uh, get this team over that red line in the playoffs. And uh, if he does that, I'm I'm sure he would be welcomed back with an extension. But I think a lot really depends on how this team plays out the rest of the year. Well, and JJ, I, I find it a really interesting question because, you know, Mark Dos Santos, he was so highly regarded when he joined the Whitecaps. And, you know, during his tenure with the team, I think it's really been seen as kind of a club in turmoil. And, and some of that is because of the results on the pitch. Some of that is because of things happening off the pitch. And then, of course, with the COVID disruption, that gets la- launched into it as well. And I guess the debate kind of comes down to, do we want the stability of keeping the same coach going into next year because there have been so many changes over the last few years with the club? Or it does it simply come down to, as you say, results? And if the results aren't going to be there with Mark Dos Santos, do we have to make a move, even though it's making another major change at the top of the club? No, absolutely. I mean, uh, this this is kind of like the the year for him to prove it because, you know, first year, rookie head coach, uh, he blew up the team and with the the most team turnover in team history i think they brought in like 22 new faces uh he admitted that was the wrong thing to do and because we saw the results at the the end of that season they were down at the bottom of the west of course next year covid hits you know i think everyone kind of gets a pass if you're a canadian coach because you know they did not play at home they had uh the home opener against uh, sporting kansas city and then they went on the road and then after that season shut down for a few months, they came back. They played, uh, I think, three games at, at BC Place in the summer with no fans. But after that, they were, we were on the road down in Portland for the rest of the time. I mean, it's incredibly hard. You can't really overstate how big of a challenge that was for them to have to relocate to a different country to play all their games, live out of a suitcase. They were essentially playing on the road for all this time. That is a huge challenge. So you can write off that season as well. They came just shy of the playoffs. They got a little screwed by MLS in that hmm. they, they changed the qualifying process right towards the end of the season from total points to points per game, which meant that the Colorado Rapids, who had missed a whole bunch of games because of positive COVID tests, uh, actually leapfrogged the, the, uh, the Whitecaps and, and bumped them down the ladder so they finished out of the playoffs. Now this year... There's no excuses now. You've got, you know, your $6 million striker on Lucas Cavallini. You've got Ryan Gold, who they're paying, I believe, $3 million a year for uh, the most. That's the highest salary in, in club history. They spent a lot of money on all the other pieces surrounding them. So if they can't make the playoffs this year, that is going to be on Marco Santos, even if they had to spend half the year 
in, in Sandy, Utah. And, you know, so the pressure is there for him to take this talent and turn it into a winning club, which if you look over the past eight games, you know, an eight-game unbeaten streak, he's doing that. Now, whether they can make the playoffs or not, that's the question. Hey, JJ, just quickly before we let you go here, BC Lions, what they dropped that game, we talked about quickly off the top on Thursday night to the Edmonton Elks. What would you see from Mike Riley from his health perspective from games one and two to games three? <laughs> well, uh, he started. Hey, they said he was going to start. He started. That's a step <laughs> in the right direction. Um, he looked – I thought he – mentally he was he was there – in terms of making the right reads and, and trying to get the ball to the right place. Uh, I think the difference was on Thursday night, uh, his, his arm strength definitely waned uh, towards the end of the game, even though he mm-hmm. said, you know, there was nothing wrong with it. You, you could tell there were some throws that were uh, a little short, a little weak, a little wobbly. Uh, so his, his, his arm is definitely not 100%. But at the same time, his offensive line, I mean, they lost Joel Figueroa early but they did him no favors. And, you know, he was under siege the entire night, uh, spent a lot of time on his back. I mean, there was a play on the goal line where he got flagged for offensive, uh, uh, for intentional grounding uh, because he just had, he had no time to get it off. And, and it was like that the entire game. Um, mm. So I, I, I can't, I can't lay the results uh, at, at his feet. I think it was his, lowest uh, passing total since oof, I, I think it was 2015 again uh, when he was with Edmonton. Um, but I can't, I can't pin that on, on Michael Riley or his health. I think, you know, he, he has a, had a, a week to get healthy, uh, a week to get some therapy on his, on his, on his elbow. So hopefully we'll see the, uh, the Michael Riley that we did the game before where he checked for 342 yards and was named the uh, CFL Offensive player of the week. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, health is going to be a big question for them moving forward. But again, just like with the Whitecaps and Maxine Crepeau and Thomas Lafal, they've got a very capable backup in young Nathan Rourke of Victoria, Canadian quarterback. Uh, he showed he's cool, unflappable, and can make the throws uh, against Saskatchewan. You know, it was a tough position for any rookie to be in, but he came out and he did really exceptionally well uh, considering the circumstances. So I think there, there definitely will be a drop-off in terms of production if, if uh, Nathan Rourke comes in, understandably, as a rookie quarterback. But uh, I think the, it, it's not season over for the Whitecaps if there was some kind of you know, health concerns that forced Mike Riley out uh, moving forward. It sounds like this is a conversation from 2019 with Mike Riley and the offense. <laughs> and hopefully it doesn't uh, it doesn't continue moving forward, JJ, because Mike Riley healthy is a good thing for the BC Lions, or at least upright and throwing the ball. Uh, JJ, thanks so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Enjoy your 10-year uh, anniversary on Thursday, and we'll talk again soon. <laughs> thanks, Dan. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Um, we haven't addressed this on the show yet, but a big milestone yesterday in the world of baseball. Yep. Miguel Cabrera, Miggy, hit his 500th home run. Uh, obviously, you know, even those milestones you want to do at home just because you get the fans behind you and the home crowd, and it's just that more special to do it. But I got to give kudos to the Jays fans because they gave him a curtain call. They gave him a standing yep. ovation, curtain call, and I think it's just a very classy 
uh, gesture by the fan base because, you know, they didn't have to do it. It was against their team. <laughs> well, yeah, and I, it's actually funny because I was watching the game, and obviously you know Miggy is, you know, one, one home run away from hitting the 500 club, and I'd actually uh, kind of stepped away from the screen for a second. So I came back, and I saw – Cabrera going into the dugout. I guess it was after the curtain call, but I didn't realize that. And I heard them talking, you know, oh, he won, he hit his 500th home run. And I hear Dan and Buck talking about, you know, his career and what an amazing accomplishment it is. And it's funny because for a second, I was, uh, I was almost upset on his behalf because I didn't realize the fans had given him a curtain call. And I kind of right. thought, Hey, I, I thought maybe a curtain call would be in order here. <laughs> like, what are you guys doing out there in Toronto? Come on. This is, this is a big milestone moment for this guy. And then I rewound and I was very happy to see that they had showed the appropriate, you know, respect and admiration for what Cabrera has come to do. Cause yeah, as you say, like, I don't know if it's an obligation, but when a player like that, who's been such a strong performer for so long gets to a milestone, unless it's someone who is, you know, a hated rival or right. someone who is a total jerk off the field or whatever. Yeah, I think you do kind of have an obligation or have a duty as a fan to show your respect for that moment. It's a really, really hard, hard milestone to reach. So I was very glad to see that the, uh, the, 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 the Jays faithful there at the Rogers Center stood up and gave Miguel Cabrera his due. What is it, 28th player to hit yeah, 500? So, so just think about that. I mean, that's In, a you know, 150 exclusive... years almost of yeah. Major League Baseball. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's a pretty exclusive club. So, the first, I mean, if, like you said, if that's A-Rod, I don't think the Jays sure. are giving him in a Yankees uniform, giving him yeah. a standing ovation. But, you know, Miggy, class act, and for them to do it was awesome. Is there? Have you been in a situation, like, where it's against your team, where it's like, okay, like, I feel good for this person, or you would stand up and cheer for this person to hit a milestone? Because generally speaking, you don't want players to do this against your team or in your venue, right? Like, because, again... They would hit this milestone. It's probably a pretty impressive one. And you're always going to be the team associated with them hitting that milestone. Yes. And, I mean, that's the famous thing with, uh, I mean, the Canucks have been on the on the bad end of that with Gretzky and with others right. a lot, right? Of guys <laughs> hitting their milestone goals or point totals or whatever uh, against the Canucks. You know, I don't know if there's ever been a moment, a specific moment with a milestone for me where, you know, I've been in the right. stands and, and the opposing players hit it and I've gotten up and given the standing O. But... I mean, I want to hear from our listeners, first of all. Have you ever been in that moment, 650-650, get your submissions in where, you know, you just had to get up and give the standing ovation or give the cheer for the opposing player, whether it was a milestone, whether it was just something else they accomplished, one of those rare moments where you had to mm -hmm. cheer for the other team, get your submissions in. But I also just think of it in terms of, okay, not one moment, but players for another team or players even for a rival team that – eventually you just have to tip your cap to them because you respect yeah. them so much. And, you know, we were talking earlier, okay, who are those guys that you would have loved to see win a Stanley Cup or a championship in their mm -hmm. career? And obviously instantly in Calgary, we had, you know, dozens of people, people saying Jerome McGinley. But even in Vancouver, we had people text in, uh, you know, I would have loved to see Jerome McGinley get a Stanley Cup, yeah. right? And I think that's such a, that's a sign of how incredibly respected and beloved a player he was that, you know, Vancouver and Calgary, you have the pretty big rivals, pretty major rivalry going on there. And even in Vancouver, you have people standing up and saying, yeah, Jerome McGinley, he was awesome. I would have loved to see him win a cup. And we had people in Calgary, a couple text in Trevor Linden going the other way, right? Mm -hmm. Which is another great example. And I think of, you know, famously, those two guys are connected, right? Because in Linden's final game, McGinley leads his team out of the ice to show the respect for him. 
Um, but I want to hear from our listeners, right? Do you have those moments where the, the opposing team did something or the opposing player did something and you just had to stand up and give them the respect they deserve? Well, and it comes down to respect I think you have for these players and how they yeah. treat themselves. Like I think of personally, I was in the building for two of Henrik Sedin's milestones. One of them were Henrik and Daniels. And um, I mean, you can talk about how the Canucks are on the um, the list of all like Wayne Gretzky's accomplishments, but you could also talk about the fact that like how many times did the <laughs> Sedin's run the cycle and just keep puck yeah. possession and light up the Edmonton Oilers uh, during their down years. So for me, it was. It wasn't in Rexall Place, but it was in Rogers Arena. And I was there for when uh, Henrik Sedin was against the Dallas Stars. He became the all-time Canucks leading scorer. And, you know, for I'm not a Canucks fan, but I got up with the crowd and cheered. Yep. And, but as they start to show him on the big screen and he's kind of, you know, waving to the crowd, accepting these congratulations, I start, you know, welling up because and getting emotional about this because just realizing how impressive a moment this is for him. And I don't really have any hard feelings against Henrik Sedin. And it was the same thing when I was in the building for Henrik and Daniel's final game of their careers. And we all know the shift in overtime. We all know how Daniel scored on a... Um, on a pass from Henrik and to get that win against Arizona. But I immediately jumped up and started cheering and screaming. I'm not a Canucks fan, but it just in that moment of seeing these two guys go out on such a high, like, yeah, I will give them the respect that they deserve for being the athletes that they are. And of course the, after that, what happened was, you know, the final game, that was their final oh. home game. Their final game was yeah. actually in Edmonton. And I think you saw that same respect from the crowd in Edmonton. Right. And I mean, those are, you know, the Twins, as you well know, tormented the Oilers for years and years. They put up numbers against them forever, right? But, so there's obviously an element of, of Oilers fans that are like, man, this is, this is driving me nuts. But you also want to show the respect when the time comes. And that was really cool to see in the Twins' final game there against the Oilers. This one's a great submission that comes in, uh, 650-650 to our text message inbox, talking about moments where you felt like you had to cheer for the opposing players. The Bobby Ryan triumphant return yes. hat trick. That's a really, really good example from recent Canucks history. A little different because obviously it was in Ottawa, but even just watching it as a fan or whatever on the TV, <laughs> I mean, how do you how do you get angry that this guy's torching your team for a hat trick given everything that he went through, given the context around it? That's a fantastic example. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this one comes in. I stood up and cheered to Louis Erickson once. Does that count? <laughs> I mean, did you cheer? That's, uh, that, that's, uh, that's saying something, I guess. <laughs> did you cheer when he put the puck in his own net in the first game that he ever played for the Vancouver Canucks? Isn't that how it happened? And yes, I think that, that is how it I happened. think that basically led for the rest of Louis Erickson's career. <laughs> it, always, um, it always amused me, by the way, Karen, that, and, I, yeah. and this will probably change now that he is no longer officially with the team, but that there is a picture of. Uh, Louis Erickson scoring a goal up in the Canucks press box, which is oh, really made me laugh. Yeah, there is. I don't know how it got up or in what context it got up, but every time I was in there and saw it, I was like, really? Why Why is there a Louis Erickson picture up in here? Yeah, you think you'd probably take that down after? Yeah, you I know, think that'll he's... probably get taken down now. Oh my goodness, that's too funny, too funny. Um, this is one, and it's it's a tor it's a fan base that I was wondering what the reception would be. Remember when LeBron James was close to passing Kobe Bryant for third all time in NBA scoring, yep. and he did it in a Lakers uniform. But I mean, he's not a Laker. I mean, I guess well. he plays for the La I guess he plays for the Lakers. Brought them a title, but this is before 
he had brought before them the, title. He won the title yeah this was actually january 2020 actually it happened the day before kobe died in the helicopter crash which is just incredible when you think about it and it's actually kobe's birthday today as well or would have been kobe's birthday today um but i remember all the narrative around that was would lakers fan give lebron his due because yeah. at the time he's not a laker he just put on the uniform came over and he's not a, a he's not a true laker right you know how there's Kobe. always that there's always that debate with uh, when a player joins a Yan- the yankees is he a true yeah. yankee or not right yeah, lebron was not considered a true laker at the time i guess is what some fans would have said Exactly. And they did cheer him and Kobe gave him his due. But it's it's one of those things where you're passing this icon of the organization and Lakers fans like it's Kobe. Kobe is Kobe and they are just adore him. And as they should, he was in one of the best players to ever play in the NBA all time. But for LeBron to do it in a Lakers uniform, I, I always wondered. And that was the narrative going up to it. But they did give him a ovation, but it was muted at the time because it was still, it's you know, it's still Kobe that you're passing. Yeah, and you're right. It's they hadn't they hadn't had time to warm to LeBron. He hadn't brought them a championship, which is really the standard in LA, right? If you don't win a championship, you're not going to be considered much of anything uh, by the Lakers faithful. There, I like this one. This text comes in from Shane in Richmond, and it's a great question, right? Because I was yeah. saying off the top of this segment, I was really happy to see the Jays fans stand up and give Miguel Cabrera the curtain call, give him his due for you know recognizing a great career and excellence over a sustained period of time i really like that and i think that's something more fans should do but shane and richmond raises a great point what happens if brad marchand gets his 1000th career point in vancouver shane then absolutely no one should stand up and cheer i have i have no problem saying that whatsoever whatsoever if it's brad marchand yeah don't show that recognition feel free to boo feel free to do whatever you got to do in that case yeah, I think that I don't think anything is going to make you stand up and cheer for Brad Marchand because the, you know what? There, there's yeah. no Olympics being played in no. Vancouver and him with the potential of scoring a gold medal winning goal. Like, it's just the not more, going to happen. Uh, I think the more interesting question is like Patrice Bergeron, right? Because right? he was a part of that Bruins team, obviously, but he doesn't have nearly the same reputation as Brad Marchand. I think a lot of people respect Patrice Bergeron. I, what, does, it, does it change if he does it for a team other than the Bruins if he happens to move on? at some point in his career, right? I, that, that's an interesting dilemma to me. Brad Marchand, just no. You don't have to cheer for him. That's fine. Never cheer for Brad Marchand. That's perfectly all right. <laughs> the good news is he's only at 750 points. Yeah, so he's got a ways points, to go. So he's, he's got, got a ways to, to go. But I guess suppose, depending on how you know his season goes in the next two years, it could be depending on how it falls, maybe the 800th career point uh, yeah. of his career. So you never know. What what milestone did Milan Lucic hit again this season? Was it games played? I believe it was his thousandth game played, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't in Vancouver, was it? But I think that would have been one where if there had been fans in the stands, which there obviously wasn't this year. Like, he's a player that he, I know he was part of that Bruins team, but I think because he's from here. Well, of course, yeah. You know, the Milan Lucic, we we can cheer him for that milestone. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And, you know. Yeah, he was on the Bruins team, but of course with the local connection, playing for the Giants, growing up here. And then it's also, you know, he hasn't played for Boston for quite a while, right? So yeah, That's he's true. played for divisional rivals in Edmonton or Cal- in Calgary, but there's not really the same bite there that there used to be right now. So, I mean, if, if Milan Lucic had played his thousandth game in Vancouver, you would have seen a huge standing ovation for Lucic. Yeah, and I guess, too, I mean, downward trend of his career, Brad Marchand is still a very successful. Still an extremely effective player, yeah. <laughs> effective player, yeah. It's it's interesting because it the same conversation, as you said, 
it definitely applies to the conversation we had earlier with these titles, so whether it be Stanley Cups or NBA titles, and it comes down to the person. Like, would Reggie Miller, you know, is not going to be given a standing ovation in New York City if no, he hits some sort not. of milestone. <laughs> even not. in, he may not be given a standing ovation in even Indiana um, if he hits some sort of milestone. But if you are, it all comes down to how the fan base perceives you. And if you're such a villain, especially personal personality-wise. Although there was the famous moment, you know, we were, we were speaking of Kobe earlier, right? Wasn't there a game, I believe it was a regular season game, where Kobe was playing in Boston and he was having such a dominant game that the Boston fans chanted MVP for him, right? Oh, did and that's they? a situation that. where there's, you know, where the Celtics and the Lakers obviously have an incredibly yeah. historic rivalry, right? And specifically, even in the Kobe years, they met in the finals those two times. So, I mean, that's kind of the ultimate sign, right? When you are hated rivals and still you're doing something so incredible that even the fans on the other side say, like, look, we got to, you're the MVP. What are we going to do? We have to admit it. Like, that's, that might be the ultimate example of this phenomenon there. That's huge. Yeah, I didn't, I don't remember that one, but that's absolutely incredible. And especially when they would have been chanting that Boston was still probably pretty good. Like, yep. you know, I mean, they competed in the, in the final. Did they compete when Boston won? Did they beat the Lakers in the final? I yes, remember. I believe they did. Yeah, they did. So, yeah, it would have been a huge rivalry, and uh, for them to do that just shows, you know, respect. you got to give respect. Hey, all right, quickly, let's get to notes and quotes. There's a, there's a button Uh-oh. for it. Uh-oh. There's a, there's, a, there's a button. Did Art leave? Maybe he left. Art's on a coffee <laughs> break here. <laughs> exactly. He's like, I know I have to be back by 12.55, so I'm going to give some time. Hey, it's okay, Art. We'll just get quickly to notes and quotes, even though it's a really good produced uh, intro by Jamie. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> Jamie, White Sox at the Jays today, 4 o'clock here on Sportsnet 650 and on Sportsnet on your television. Four games against the White Sox this week. Uh, Alex Manoa back from the bereavement list. He will start tonight. Uh, let's just say they better put up some runs. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. For all the talk about the bullpen this year for the Jays, it's the offense that has let them down in a big, big way uh, over the last week or so here, really over the last couple of weeks. They need to put up some runs, and I mean, that starts with some clutch hitting, right? And I I tend to think, you know, your batting average of runners in scoring position, that'll tend to even out over the course of the year. I don't put a lot of stock in a cold streak like the one they're on, but you got to get out of the cold streak. you got to get some of those timely hits with runners on base. They just have not been able to do it recently. And if they don't turn it around in a very, very big hurry, their season is cooked. It might already be cooked, but yeah, they got, they got to make some damage, do some damage in this series against the, the White Sox. And I'm, look, I'm looking forward to watching this White Sox team. I haven't seen them a lot this season because we just, if you don't have the MLB package, you don't get to see other teams other than the Blue Jays. And, I mean, they're one of the best teams in baseball. And Lance Lynn's on the mound, 10-3 and three this season, 2.26 yep. ERA and 141 strikeouts. Like, they've got their one of their aces up there. So it'll be interesting to see what the Jays can do. NFL, for those who care about preseason, <laughs> it's the final preseason game. Jags at Saints, for what it's worth. The Jags have lost five straight preseason Mon- games. But Monday gonna- Night Football, let's go. <laughs> you are going to get to see Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence, yeah. And, hey, to be fair, there's, like, kind of an interesting QB battle in, in yeah, New Orleans, right, with Taysom Hill and, and Jameis Winston. So, you know, if you're if you're a diehard NFL fan, there's something to tune in there for. Can I ask you a question? Like, wh- like Urban Meyer, dude. I know, I know you've got, you know, the mustache guy down there, <laughs> in in uh, Jacksonville. But yep. 
Like, what's what's the issue with saying Trevor Lawrence is going to be your starter? There's no – like, he's going to be your starter. Why are you playing games with us? Don't you think that's just something coaches do to remind everyone who's in charge, right? You know, hey, I'm I'm the coach. Don't just – yeah, you're the first overall pick. You're one of the best prospects we've ever seen, or at least that we've seen for a long time. <laughs> right? But, hey, I still make the decisions here, and I'll, I'll tell you when you're the starter. Right? That just feels like an old-school football coach kind of thing to me. Uh, I just think it's stupid because it's like just give him the first team rep oh, all the time sure. and just you yeah. know Gardner Minshew that's the guy Gardner uh, Minshew, with yeah. the mustache yeah with the mustache and yeah it'll be interesting to see what the Saints do and Sean Payton I'm actually very curious because this is it's going to be so weird not seeing Drew Brees under center for the Saints uh, when the actual regular season yep. kicks off but Sean Payton's been known to be this you know offensive guru wherever he's been whether it was uh, in Dallas as an offensive coordinator or with Drew Brees so maybe he can get James Winston back to being the guy that was drafted first overall, not the guy that throws picks in the first yes, three minutes of the, every the, uh, football game. The 30, 30 touchdown, 30 pick guy that we last saw in Tampa Bay. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God. It was like one of the bets you could make, the prop bets. It's like James Winston to throw a, an interception in the first three minutes of the game. Done. Put odds on that one. Throw it up. Put all your money on that one. <laughs> exactly. You're going to win. Uh, have you been watching at all the Northern Trust Open? I've been trying to, but it keeps getting delayed. So it's been very, very difficult <laughs> to actually tune in. It's on our screen right now. Of course, top 130 golfers are cut down to 70, I believe, for next week. John Rahm's in the lead, 17 under through seven. Tony Finnell, Cameron Smith, Eric Van Royen, 15 under. Just an update on Corey Connors, who had a course record the other day, was shooting his 62 in his third round. He is 12 under through nine. Doesn't really matter for this tournament. All these guys want to do is just pick up points and move on to the next round. Yeah. 